0: Welcome again to class number 7 <clears throat> of our study of Ephesians. This morning we're going to begin, sorry, we'll be in chapter 4. We're going to do just the first 16 verses of chapter 4. And then next week we're going to take chapter 4, verse 17, all the way to chapter 6, verse 24, and complete our study. So last, next week will be the last uh, study in Ephesians. And then we'll pick school of the word back up in July 8th. Uh, let me just say this as we kind of get the others coming in and settling down on July on let me think about it June 24th how many of you remember John Gerhardt who is from Solid Rock Ministries Urban Impact they have a ministry down in the central city we're excited about him coming here during the Sunday school time on June the 24th we'll be announcing this in service and speaking to us about some opportunities and possibilities of those members of this church who would like to get out into the areas out into the streets out into the community out into the if you would working world out there and help with the ministry out there and so there'll be a, uh, a project in July that they'll be upgrading their facilities and doing some painting and whatever of a new facility that they have and some other activities like that and so I think one of the great great needs of this church is that I think we do a good job inviting people in I'm not so sure if we do a good job in us going out I don't mean individually individually yes but collectively and so hopefully if you have a heart for this if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about this whatever even if you're not sure come on the 24th Sunday school hour and join us as John kind of gives an overview and encourages us to what the ministry is and what our part might be in that all right again thank you for being here this morning let's open our bibles to ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 father thank you so much father thank you as we heard this morning the astonishing revelation that you would take up residence in us father we're so quick to say this It's become so much a part of us for so long father but we know that we need to stop to think to ponder not only ponder who we were but who we still continue to be in so many areas and yet you have chosen to forgive and not only forgive because father that was astonishing enough But then to dwell in us with us father the most amazing condescension father the most amazing forbearance that as you by your spirit live in us and as we continue in so many areas of disobedience and laziness Allowing sin to manipulate and control us, allowing our feelings to run rampant, allowing our decisions not to be based in your will, and yet, Father, you so continually, consistently, and carefully minister to us by your grace, never condemning, never harsh, but continually applying the goodness and the mercy the strength of your love in our lives father we know that doesn't negate the issue of discipline for we know father that discipline is in the midst of love so father as we study this morning and as we walk with you father would you cause our understanding and remembrance and realization About this astonishing and even scandalous work that Jesus has paid the full price not only to forgive us to cleanse us but also to open our hearts so that the God of glory may come in and reside father for this purpose for the purpose of being grateful and displaying our gratitude and for allowing your glory to be manifested in these bodies father we want to be a people who walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called fathers we begin to study today the outworking the practicals the daily living of this great gospel father we pray that your spirit will infuse us with greater motive and greater power than ever before father so that our lives may as it were take off in the spirit so that your name may be seen in the heavenlies and upon this earth in a crystal clear and a very powerful way father make it so increasingly so in our lives in Jesus name amen amen well you remember about a week ago we talked about the Holy Spirit, eliminating the separation, the wall of separation in the church. I'm not so so sure whether the people who set up the room heard that teaching. So this is not a reason for, you know, uh, going back and saying, yes, there is a separation in the church in Lakeview Christian Center. By the way, those of you coming in a little late, if you all would come up here, some of you who are sitting in the back, would you serve those who are going to be coming in late? If you all would move up here, it would make those who are coming in late feel a lot better so if you would do that some of you move up here it's okay I won't uh, be upset with that so anyone wants to move up closer to us so now we're starting in section two remember Ephesians can be easily divided into two major sections doctrine and practice everything that has been taught everything that has been explained everything that has been prayed for and presented and revealed in first section verses chapters one to three has been a doctrinal foundation a rooting a planting of the seed of the truth of God all of that was done for one purpose we understand doctrine and we receive doctrine and we are taught and built up through the word of God for one purpose not so we can know something in and of itself but for the purpose of practical transformation in our lives as the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, which we have learned, which we have been taught, which we have had revealed to us by His Spirit, and as God the Spirit takes His Word, as a surgeon takes the instruments of surgery, and as it begins to work in our minds, in our motives, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our wills, in our decisions, in all of this area as the Holy Spirit begins and continues a transformational work in us so that our lives as outwardly extended and seen among one another and to the world will be reflective of the inner work of the Spirit because now every one of us who are saved are in Christ. And we want to be living and showing the world what in Christ means, what it means to walk in companionship, in partaking coineership with God Himself. And so chapter four begins that. So this morning we're going to just take a look at the first 16 verses. And in chapters four to six, Paul is going to describe the fruit of our salvation of God's work in us. The fruit is God's working in us as we cooperate with that work. Now please let's not make faith our work to do something for God. Faith is not my work to do something for God. Faith is God's gift to me allowing me and giving me the desire to cooperate to walk with, to join hands with the God who is at work in my life. God is at work and faith brings me by the power of the Spirit into that work that God is ongoing doing in our lives. And so the fruit is the work, the fruit is chapters 4 to 6. Conforming us to the image of God's Son. That's the fruit of our salvation. Why did God save you? Not because you needed to be saved, not because we were nasty, meanest snake people but God's desire to have a people conform to the image of His Son. So this is the reason that we have been saved, to be conformed to His Son, so that the walk of the church is reflective. And I'm going to say this now, and I think this is the bottom line and the most important thing we can get out of these next three chapters. And I think we miss it often in the church when we talk about our behavior, our thoughts, what we do, where we go, how we act. Why has God done what he's done? By placing us into Christ. For this reason. So that through the church, through me, through you, through my personal life, through my public life, through your personal life, through your public life, in your thought life, in your activity life, whatever kind of life we can live. So that in us, the very inner life of god is revealed the inner life of who god is in himself is to be seen with utter amazement by the principalities and powers and rulers and folks who live in this world this is the reason why sin is so wicked it's because it is a denial of and a lying about God's inner life who he is in himself and how he functions as a community within himself so I want you to make sure you see that in these chapters 4 to 6 if you get nothing else out of these chapters I will be praising God for a long time if you just get this out and this is the most basic thing every admonition every command, every exhortation that you see in these chapters and throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament is for one purpose that in God's people, God's inner life, who God is in himself as a triune being and how the three persons of the Trinity in community function and relate in the diversity of roles. That's what this is all about. And so when his command Do this do that and do the other and don't do that and don't do that and don't do the other these are not things to strap us down these are things to glorify God as his life as who he is is demonstrated clearly and consistently in the church can you say amen Amen. yes this is the reason you see the real and significant meaning of the imperatives you know the commands the law The real significant meaning of this is the public display of the inner life of God through the obedience, through the walk of God's people. This is why sin is so wicked. And this is why primarily I don't want to be sinning and you either. Because then I'm saying God is like my sin. And we know that's a very big lie. So let's start in chapter 1, verses 4 rather, verses 1 to 16. Chapter 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Ha! Ah, finally, I can just feel Paul saying, Finally, I've gotten to where I want to go. I've climbed the steps of the first three chapters. I'm finally at the door of walking it out, of making it a reality. You remember in chapter 3 how he began? do you remember we talked about that last week you know about uh, i urge you and then he stops and he has to do some talking and praying and so on and then now finally he comes to the place where he's been wanting to be this is the place andy that paul has been wanting to be with the ephesian church it is a wonderful church he spent two and a half almost three years in the with the church teaching them he's now in chains in Rome he's writing the church to encourage them he knows that there are issues in the church of sin issues in the church of relational difficulties, issues in the church normal issues among people who are children of God and who are still sinning this is, could be this church amen it could be this church and so Paul wants to make sure that the church understands what the significance is of their salvation and that they walk it out in a way that God's life is truly reflective so he begins to deal with these issues so let's see how he begins Paul urges he says I therefore prisoner of the Lord urge you Paul urges the church to turn its focus to the out of the in working grace of God he urges this is not a man who just said you know could I give you a suggestion and could you stop sinning Could you start getting along with one another? Could you put down those pagan practices? This is a man whose total emotional being is put into this word. I urge you. Why is he so passionate in that? Why should we be so passionate in our desire and in our attack against sin and our desire for us to be obedient why because God's re- the revelation of God himself is at stake there is no greater at stakeness than this in our life this should be the most urgent thing that we are about as people of God nothing else should come near the urgency in our lives of living obedient faith-filled God-honoring lives nothing You see, to walk, out walking of the in-working grace of God, to walk, what does he urge you to? I urge you what? Please, he says, walk. The word walk means your daily way of life. I urge you, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of what? Of the calling with which you have been called. You remember the calling? You remember in Ephesians chapter 1? We were called do you remember he started off in Ephesians chapter one we've been blessed with every heavenly every blessing in the heavenlies and then the next thing he starts talking about is that we have been called he says this is why God has called you this is why God has called you this is the reason he says I urge you live the call live what God has done what God has done on the inside make it real In a very practical and daily way as believers we are called to a walk that would exhibit God's life so that he might be glorified why because anytime and every time the inner life of God who he is and how he is anytime the inner life of God is revealed this is his glory God's glory is not something other than who He is and how He is. God's glory is who He is and how He is. And any time to any extent that any of us are living in a way that is reflective of any aspect of God, God is being glorified. So let's talk about the character of the walk. Well what does that walk look like? Okay Pat I've been told to walk in a manner. I've been told. Okay fine. I'm ready to walk in a manner. Could you help me to know some of the aspects of that walk? What does it look like in a very practical way? Well, first, Paul starts with in a very interesting way. He says, walk how? With what? With what? Does it just say humility? It says what? All humility? Does it say humility? All humility. All humility. Humility is right. He says, walk this way. First of all, all humility. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't say, "Okay, here's what we got to do. We've learned all the doctrine, we've learned all that God has done, we've understand that, we all want to do it. Okay, let's start obeying." Okay, church, let's start obedience. AJ, don't do that. What's your name? Forgot your name. You. Wendy, thank you. I just forgot her name. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. <laughs> She looked at me and she said, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? (laughs) You still have egg on your face. Paul doesn't say, okay, Wendy Zerringer, stop doing this. Okay, Brandon, you go over there. He doesn't start that way. Because in order to walk in a manner worthy, there has to be something that undergirds and empowers and facilitates obedience. There has to be something that undergirds, empowers, and facilitates obedience. It's called humility. Humility. I believe that it's safe to say this, that humility is the most basic virtue of all. That humility is the soil in which God's grace develops, humility, humility. In in, In Ezekiel 36 remember the Lord will break the heart of stone. The breaking of the heart of stone is preparatory to the receiving of the grace of God. Correct? It obviously is a part of the grace of God, the love of God. It, so let me start all over. The breaking of the, heart of the heart of man, the stone heart, is preparatory to the receiving of the presence and the love and the forgiveness of God why break a heart of stone it is emblematic i think of creating humility bringing that pride that held that stone together in such hardness breaking the power of pride causing humility now to become active so the heart can break apart and receive you can't receive anything from god except through humility humility is the root you see paul knows that obedience is a fruit and not the root Humility is the root of, and obedience is the fruit of what God is doing in our lives. What does our walk look like? Our walk is to look like this. It is rooted in humility and it is fruited by obedience. You see, I believe as I said, humility we can call the soil of God's grace. It recognizes that God alone is worthy to be worshipped to be respected honored obeyed gladly placing itself under the leadership of God oh humility always looks to God and honors God and accounts the glory to God it always points away from self it is dependent It is open-hearted, open-armed to God to receive whatever God desires for us, to receive it joyfully. It doesn't give excuses. It doesn't explain away why. It says, God, God, anything you say is right, anything you want from me is correct, and I'll do that. Humility. Remember in Philippians 2, 5, Paul is telling the church how to live. He's saying, here are some of the things you need to start doing. And he points the church to Jesus' humility as the basis and really the power of their ability to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. So as we talk about obedience, I don't pray, when I pray for myself or anyone, I never pray for obedience in and of itself. I never do that. I first pray for copious amounts of humility humility you see the greater the work of God in me creating humility bringing in if you would the soil of humility taking the backhoe of the Holy Spirit and digging out the pride in my yard and then dumping in the rich black that soil into my yard that's what I need primarily and mostly because once I have that kind of a soil what's going to happen it's going to produce a harvest so i regularly pray first for humility let your prayer be first for humility humility oh lord deal with the issues in my life that are preventing me from obeying you from a heart of humility cause me to be a humble man a humble woman do what is necessary to create greater and greater depth and amount spread the humility all around my life in every category it's humility that is the greatest need in my life as far as my walk is concerned humility because once humility is there The Holy Spirit begins to come in and he says, I'm going to throw this seed in. I'm going to put this seed. And our hearts say, yes, yes, yes. And once you put the seed of God's word into the soil of humility, it will produce a harvest. So let humility be our primary concern. And then let's deal with the issues of obedience. So in Philippians 2. Paul says this have this mind this attitude in yourselves which also was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God he was God the son he did not count equality God with God a thing to be grasped. he didn't come to earth and say hey I'm God I'm God I'm God he took the form of a humble servant you remember but made himself to be nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross humility You see, Jesus' humility, he who was in the highest place took the lowest place to serve the purpose and pleasure of God in our salvation. Humility, the great servant of God. Why was Jesus the great servant of God? Because he is humble. You know what this says about God? Remember what I said, the most important thing in these chapters is not what it says about us, to us, and for us. It's what it says about the inner life of God. So what does this say? Paul says, begin with humility. What does it say about the attitude of God within himself? The three persons of the Trinity, what does it say? What governs, if you would, or controls, or what kind of atmosphere of relationship exists among the three persons of the Godhead? What? Tell me, what's that word? humility it's incredible that a God a God would be humble Gordon that's incredible there is no other religion that says a God is humble all of them are strutting pride-filled whatever's right the God of glory Is not a creation of man's understanding and theology. Why do we know that? Because it is totally contrary to who we are as human beings to say that our God is humble. Why is humility most important? Because Jesus has shown us that in the heart of God, the relationship that exists among the three persons of God is a relationship of humility of deferring leading and following community now to me that's astounding I don't know how you feel about that but that is an astounding revelation so you see how many of you genuine and I can tell you the truth how many of you when you saw that word humility you thought immediately of the inner life of God we don't think right we're not thinking right Let's think about what the Bible says and what it instructs us to do the way God wants us to. So when I see the word humble, when I see the word love, when I see the word whatever describing what we are to do, what does that say? It says this is something about God's inner life. Otherwise we disassociate it from God, we make it something about us, and we can't do it. Why do I want to be a humble person? Because I get more from God? No, because God in Himself has displayed astonishingly in the sacrificial humbling of Jesus to become a man going to the cross. That's astounding. When, it, when John Newcomb, whatever his name is, said amazing grace, that's astounding. Kyle do you get that it's astounding it's astounding could you give me a few minutes after 9 30 I think the clock is too fast this morning they must put a new battery in it and it's energized John 10 15 Jesus says he says this I lay down do we get this Jesus said he lays down his life for the sheep Jesus loves us he died for look we're too casual about this this is the creator This is the god of glory this is the king of kings this is the holy transcendent eternal being himself who lays down his life for the sheep by becoming a man and then who culminates it in his death on the cross this is humility this is humility why does jesus do it Because I'm lowly of heart, I'm humble, I'm humble. Why does Jesus obey the Father? Because I'm humble. Why does Jesus succeed in everything the Father says? Because I'm humble. I take a little more time on this because we don't get this, everything else kind of suffers. This is the root, humility, because I'm humble. The fruit of humility. Well, what are some of the fruits of humility? What does humility look like? How do I know I'm being humble? You know, Yogi Bear said it years ago. I'm humble because I have a lot to be humble about. What does humility look like? Look at the verse. Look at the verse where we are. Do you see where we are? Humility, what? Gentleness. Do you see the word gentleness? Everybody see where we are in chapter 4? Gentleness. Patience. Forbearing with one another in love. You know why this isn't happening in our lives very much you see we ask oh Lord I'm not loving my wife my husband my neighbor Is oh father give me more love you don't need more love you need greater humility so that the love that is in you is producing more fruit don't you see go to the root let's not be fruit inspectors let's allow the fruit to tell us something about the root father I have a lack of humility. There's issues of pride in me. We know that. Father, deal with the pride that is causing the love or whatever it is, not to produce the fruit that you want. Deal with me and replace my pride, overcome my pride with humility. And as God the Holy Spirit does that, you will begin to find that the fruit of love and of mercy and of patience and all of this fruit of the Spirit, which we see in Galatians 5, will begin to burst forth problem is we're trying to make it happen gentleness patience forbearing with one another in love what do you see there what do you see in those words what do those words reveal to us they reveal God's inner life his nature his character do we see this why is it so important for these things to be operative in us Pam because it reveals God it tells us and the world who God is So let's talk verse 3, the message of the walk. Paul commands the church then how humility is to function in church. How is it to function? What does it look like? How does it look like? What does humility look like? Not only in my personal life, gentleness and kindness and goodness and love and forbearing that's what it looks like in me but it never exists in me alone just for me it is a communal thing it is a community thing why so much relationship information and emphasis in the bible because God is a relational being of three persons in one being that's why community and relationships is utterly important to God it's who he is it reveals himself so how to do it We're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of love. The humble heart is always pleased to pursue this command. Living out the unity that we already have in Christ. We're not trying to make the unity happen. We're not trying to create unity. We have been unified together in Christ. That is something the Holy Spirit has done. So Paul says be eager to do what? Maintain. Maintain. Walk in it ensure it strengthen it cause it cause what is happened already to be a reality walk in unity the unity of the spirit of the spirit why the unity of the spirit because the holy spirit brings to us the revelation and the reality the revelation and the reality of the unity within the godhead there is unity in god among the three persons And so the Holy Spirit brings to me, reveals to me, brings to you, reveals to you the issue of humility and the reality of humility our unity and he creates it in my heart making me one with him making you one with him and as a result of making us individually one with God now we are one with one another we are in unity with God through Christ by the Holy Spirit and now we are to walk in unity with one another why because all of us together have been collectively made in unity with God by in Christ by the Holy Spirit and so we are to walk in a way that demonstrates that unity the community on earth in unity to reveal the community in heaven of unity. Are we beginning to see how this works? Most important, I am most desirous that we see God in this, not just a series of instructions and do this and don't do that and try not to do that and they want me to do that and all of the other stuff like that. This is about God. I didn't think it would take me long to do this. I thought I'd skip through this today. Why unity? It speaks of the unity that exists within God among the persons of the Trinity. Therefore, why is it so dastardly wrong to allow disunity to occur in this church or any church? Why? Because if unity speaks of who God is, disunity says who God is not. But we're saying it in a way that we're saying as God's people this is what God is like James. But he's not like this if you're living in disunity. So Paul said y'all have been made one in Christ. The dividing wall has been taken down. The Jews and the Gentiles are all together. Walk as a common community. Because it's who God is. It's his purpose. Of the Spirit, the Spirit's work of creating in us a very unity that is in God, as I've already said. The bond of peace. Peace. What peace? Peace I give to you, my peace I leave unto you. Remember? That? What peace? The peace. What is peace? It is the peace that God has within Himself, about Himself. Oman, do you see that? Peace isn't just something, not just a cessation of stuff and harmony peace is that which God has in himself about himself among the three persons of the Trinity all three persons live in eternal peaceableness a society of peace that's why Jesus says my peace I give to you that your peace may be full I'm giving you my peace. What peace? What peace, Victor? The peace that God is in himself. Jesus is sharing the very peace that is within God with us. Unity brings about the work and the revelation and the feeling, the experience of peace. Have you ever noticed, especially in husbands and wives, when there's no unity, what happens to peace? But where there's real unity even though all hell may be breaking out around you when there's real unity where what's happening peace is there what is this all about it's about who god is in himself i hope one thing when you leave here today you're going to be able to say god is in himself god is in himself that's just the way i'm putting it you may have a better way why eager simply because our unity in community do you see the word unity in community some of you have not seen that before, have you? Community. Because the unity in our community is our loud statement that this is who our God is in Himself. Well, let's talk about the doctrinalization. Let's talk about something about the doctrine of the unity. And we're not going to go into this very heavily. I'll get through it pretty quickly. In verses 4 to 6, Paul pauses for a moment to give him a doctrinal foundation of the unity in the Spirit. He just kind of takes a moment. Let me give you a little teaching here. Paul's a good pastor he always peppers his instruction with teaching always reminds always brings them back to the doctrinal reality of the truth he said there's one body let's count the numbers of one there's one body one spirit just as you were called into the what one hope that belongs to your call remember the call verse 5 what one Lord come on come on one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all and did you notice the Trinity did you see the Trinity in this Spirit Lord Lord is Jesus Christ and Father did you see the word the Trinity in there do you see the reality of the Trinity now the word Trinity isn't in the Bible therefore it's not a biblical doctrine well of course it's a biblical doctrine the Trinity one 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 How many were there? Did we count them? How many? Seven. Why seven? Because God's the number of completeness and perfection. Seven. Paul is saying, why unity in the spirit in the bond of peace? Because it's who God is. You see what he just did for us? He just showed us the doctrine of the Trinity. This is God we're talking about. Not just something for you to do. It's something that God does in us to glorify himself as he reveals himself. Unity through gifts well in order to promote and protect the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace look where Paul starts God has given gifts to the church verse 7 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift see everything we have is because of Christ's gift the gift of eternal life the gift of the Holy Spirit every gift of God is within the gift of Christ the gift of the Holy Spirit the gift of eternal life remember the wages of sin is death but the free gift or the gift of God is what eternal life everything in Christ remember is ours and is a gift to us now how and when did Jesus give us the gifts well this set of verses 8 to 10 simply says when Jesus descended when he became incarnate he descended he was crucified and dead and buried remember he descended he went up He ascended into heaven, He rose from the dead, He ascended, He was exalted, and as a result of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, which we see happening in Revelation, but it's already happened, although the church hasn't been there to see, get the reality or the experience of it, Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings before Revelation, we know that by Matthew 28, what is it, 18, remember all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, go ye therefore so he's king of kings and as a result of being king of kings now he can send the holy spirit who comes on pentecost and begins to gather the people of god throughout the world and throughout the generations this is where the gifts came from and when he came back the holy spirit brought gifts with him he brought gifts everything that god gives us is in the gifting of the holy spirit and the holy spirit gives us the gifting of god because we are in christ and god has given to christ the authority to give gifts to men everything in this passage is about Christ if you'll count it up already did it for you he or him is seven times you see the gifting is Christ every gift we receive is a result of I already said that verse 11 and so what kind of gifts did he give well look at it he gave some as apostles prophets evangelists pastor teacher Paul now lists the gifts that he considers primary to the correct functioning of the unity of the Spirit. Do you see what he's doing? Paul says in order for the functioning of the unity of the Spirit, in order for us to live the reality of what God has done and what God is desiring to manifest among us as He has already done this work in our salvation, in order to manifest that, in order to Make sure that it's happening and encourage it to happen and bring correction where it isn't happening correctly and encourage it to happen even more deeply and moving us ever forward into a more, into a deeper and more practical and more experiential and more expressive revelation of that unity. God has to give the gift of leadership. That's the gift of leadership. That's the purpose of the gift of leadership. So why does he start with the gift of leadership? Because it promotes and protects the unity of the Spirit. It's just not a bunch of men who are given to the church to tell the church what to do. It's men who have been given the authority by God and the responsibility. Men who will be, if you'll see this in Hebrews 13, 17, who will be personally judged by God in a way that none of you will be judged. And the judgment will be this how well did you carry out my calling anointing gifting of you as a leader to this church that's gonna be a judgment at least I know I'm gonna incur that none of you are going to incur on that day but this is God's calling Gene would tell you I had no thought ever ever of being on the staff in the church or being a pastor I just want to be a Sunday school teacher. You remember the years we used to teach Sunday school here? That's all I wanted to do, Nancy. Just give me the Bible study on Wednesday night, Sunday morning. I'm just fine. I'm, I'm pleased as a pea. But God changed that. Mike, he, he called me. I didn't. What you get, in fact, I was more surprised than everybody else. I'm serious. What are you talking about? What you talking about? Want me? Do you know who I am, God? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm capable of? Uh, of? Do you know the faults and the failings in this man? Maybe God doesn't know everything, but I know he does. So he calls gifted leaders. You see, notice that these gifts are persons, each having a particular ministry function, but not all, but all functioning what? Toward one purpose. Different roles different diversity of giftings but all functioning together in unity to produce sorry to yes produce and manifest and enhance the unity of the body leaders walking in unity working and ministering in unity producing and enhancing and encouraging and moving along the unity that is in the church so the unity that is within god can be more clearly manifested so these are what we call the leadership gifts. People have different names of five, five power. What do they call it? Five-fold ministry or whatever. You know, I don't know. All we know is that these are God's giftings to the church, each one having a particular type of anointing and effect for the church, for the purpose of the church. We're not going to go into them this morning. Why is leadership so critical for the church? Why? it shows and teaches the church that unity looks what unity looks like and how it is to function it is leading and following why is leading so important because it is first a visible demonstration of what the unity in the body of Christ is to look like if you want to know what unity in the body of Christ is to look like you should be able to see it most clearly and most strikingly and powerfully in the body of leaders the leadership team if you would this is where you look and if you want to know how it functions and the teaching of it you should listen to the leaders in the church because we are given the particular anointing and responsibility of God to manifest not only in our lives but through our teachings through our correction through our encouragement through getting in your face doing whatever it is necessary to maintain the integrity of God through the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace Samuel you see this is why leadership is so important and this is why we as a church and I include myself in this because I am a leader but I also am led This is why it is so important as we as a church revere and uphold and pray for and see our leaders more than just other guys in the church. We are members of the church, but we're a little more than just other guys in the church. We're not here just for friendship with everybody. We are here as men who have to lead the church in the holy walk of God Almighty upon the world and upon the earth. This is what we're here for. You see this kind of leading this leading and following leading and following within the leadership team and then leading and following within the team between the team and the church the giving and the taking what is that all about why is it necessary to have a leader and to have a follower what is that about who does it speak about whom does it speak about most clearly who God. god you see leadership and followership talks about god primarily we don't think that how many of us really don't think this way very much this is something kind of like i've not thought of it this way this is why the church doesn't see and appreciate and cooperate with what god is doing enough in the world this is not just about two or three four guys telling you what to do and making you do something you don't want to do or whatever and i don't agree with it it's about god it's about god you see such activity reveals the way god functions in himself each person of the trinity function in a particular role Each person of the Trinity has a role you can't distinguish the father by his nature because the son and the Holy Spirit all three persons of God have the same nature the same attributes the same essence the same uh, eternality the same power the same will they all are the same where do they differ Linda they differ in their roles they differ in how they relate to one another the father leads the son follows and the Holy Spirit follows what the son and the father give to them leading following why is it important to have leadership in the church because God is this way because do we get this God is this way God the father is if you would the team leader why is it important to lead have leaders because God is this way in himself why is it important to follow because within God this is who he is within the persons of the roles of the son and the Holy Spirit they follow the leadership of the father and the spirit follows the leadership of the son this is why it is so wrong to be resisting and rebelling against leadership obviously godly leadership not leading into sin why why is it so wrong because it denies it says God is not like this now this is not a call for y'all to serve us and to follow us blindly obviously not because Jesus doesn't follow God blindly they both share the same qualities they both share the same desires and purpose the purpose of the gift Paul explains the purpose of the gift of leadership in the church why to equip the Saints it's for your equipping for the building up of the body of Christ Paul gives leadership for the purpose of equipping the members of the body for ministry by which God's house is being built. What are the effects of the gifts? What will a well-equipped and well-built house look like? Well, that's verses 13 to 16. Let me just read through it quickly. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we're getting that way as we're being built up to a mature manhood what does unity of the faith mean a mature manhood who is the mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ god is taking us from where we were bringing us into the kingdom and moving us toward the very image of christ in our practice and he's doing it through the gift of leadership you see this progression describes god's goal in our sanctification remember genesis 1:26. let us make man what in our image according to our likeness paul gives a church gives a church that tells the church that leadership protects from satan's schemes while it promotes god's love you're protected if you're not following leadership you're opening yourself wide open to satan's schemes and attacks it protects from satan's schemes look at verse 14. why so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness of deceit and schemes deceitful schemes satan you know, we don't, mm, too many of the church do this. I'll just make a statement about this, my opinion. Too many of the church do this. We enjoy being fed by the church, but we want to go everywhere else and be fed. And the problem with that is we don't know what you're eating. And I'm not sure if all the time you know what you're eating. How many of you moms out there allow your children to eat anywhere and anything they want? How many? How many of y'all do that? Or how many of you are restricted about where'd you eat? What did you eat? How many of you would do that? How many of you would do that? None of you would ask your children where you eat and what you eat? Yes. Why? Because you love your children. Be careful what you eat. Be careful where you go. Be careful whose authority you put yourself under. Because the teaching of the word of God is an authoritative issue. Be careful. I'm going to say it this way. These issues are exclusively given to the leadership of the church. Why? Why? Because it's what God wants to do. Don't argue with me. Don't get upset with me, go to God and ask him, why in the world did he do it that way? Why can't he make it different than that? And open the floodgate to a lot of other people. It's just the way God is. Because you see, he doesn't share his glory with others. He does it in a very practical and very specific way. Promotes love. This kind of leadership promotes love. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are now to grow up in every way unto Christ, who is ahead, I'm sorry, unto him, who is ahead and to Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped with each when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love why love why love why love because who is God in himself God of love next week we'll take the rest of the letter of Ephesians